Well, good morning, everybody. I, uh, as always, want to welcome our uh, Boynton campus and everyone wa watching at church at home. And I got to tell you, I am excited about this week's Encounter Night, by the way. It's our last one of the year, uh, so you don't want to miss this Wednesday night. And what's really neat is Wednesday morning in this auditorium, we're hosting all the churches in Palm Beach County, over 70 different churches and the pastors, and we're going to be leading them. And then you're going to get to experience on that Wednesday night what we're going to be leading all of the churches and their staffs in our county uh, on uh, Wednesday morning. You're going to experience on Wednesday night. And like I said, what a great time between six and seven for everyone with family and kids. We're going to have cornhole and Chick-fil-A and lots of fun stuff to hang out. Um, and, um, and then once again at seven, we're going to experience and encounter uh, the presence of God and God's going to do some amazing things. The last one of the year, so whatever you do, don't miss this. Boyne, come up here uh, for this uh, one as well because we're going to be once again at this one location for this last one of the year. So, well, as many of you know, uh, we have been in a series where we've been kind of looking at and exploring the spiritual world. And we've been looking a little bit about the spiritual battles that we're in that in essence, many of us don't even realize that we are in. And one of the things that we kind of look at what we learned last week is, is if Jesus is telling the truth, okay? And, and if Jesus is telling the truth and the Bible is actually truth, then what we realize is, is that we are actually engaged in a spiritual battle against a spiritual enemy in this world. And that this idea that so many people have that the spiritual world doesn't impact your world is just a false reality. That the scriptures and Jesus, if they're true, reveal to me and you that the spiritual world does not stay spiritual, that it actually impacts, listen to this, it actually impacts your world. In fact, look at this verse. This has kind of been the verse we've been talking about this series, that we need to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. We need to put on the full armor of God. Why? So that we can take our stand against the, the devil's schemes for our struggle. And that word literally was used to be hand-to-hand -hand combat or wrestling. In other words, because your wrestling right now, whether you believe it or not, is not against flesh and blood. It's not just the people, it's not just circumstances, but it's against rulers and authorities and against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, once again, you gotta put on the armor of God. In other words, over and over again, you are in a battle with the spiritual world. But the problem is, you think what you're battling is actually flesh and blood, but it's not, it's actually spiritual in nature. And so last week we looked at, that the devil, listen, is, is, is actually a real being. He's not something made up in Hollywood. And, and the devil has actually been cast down out of heaven for his rebellion. We're actually going to look at that in a few moments. And, and he's here on this earth, and he's roaming around seeking to destroy. But that he isn't alone. That the Bible also told us last week we looked, that one-third of the angels actually joined the devil, rebelled against God, and the devil and all of his army are actually down here raging war against us. And as we looked at Revelation last week, we realized that there's over 100 million angels in one moment in time where, where John sees in the book of Revelation, which means there's a minimum of 30 million fallen angels that we call demons. They're partnering with Satan, their leader, and they are raging war, and you are doing battle with them. And that we've got to get our head out of the sand to be, oh, I don't want to deal with it. It's too hard to understand. It just makes me uncomfortable because whether you realize it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are engaged in a spiritual battle that you think is flesh and blood. And so we looked last week at the three things 
uh, the three ways the enemy battles us that we don't realize is the enemy, we think are flesh and blood, and then gave you the tools to defeat all of those battles. And so we looked last week, the first was their, your mind, your will, and emotions. That we're told that, that Satan rose up against Israel and he incited David to count the army. He incited David. He put a thought, a feeling, an emotion in David to go do something that he was not supposed to do. And so we understood last week that part of your thoughts and the battles in your mind are actually not just from your mind, that not every thought in your head is from your head, and not everything that feels right is right, and that your enemy actually can use your mind and your thoughts, that's why God says take captive of them, right, to do battle against you. We also looked at how sometimes the enemy uses other people, and that so often we get so mad at people, and we think to myself, I can't believe I'm surrounded by such idiots. Anybody ever think that, by the way? But what we learned last week is that the enemy can actually use other people to do battle. And we actually looked at the example of Peter and how God or how the enemy used different three different groups of people to actually make Peter fail. And last we looked at circumstances. And we looked at how the enemy actually orchestrates circumstances uh, in our lives to take us out. Now, here's what we're going to be looking at today. And I really believe it's going to kind of open some of your eyes. And it is Halloween, so it's a great time to kind of open our eyes to the spiritual enemy that we're battling uh, against. But today what I want to do is I actually want to kind of pull back the curtains and show you who your enemy is. We're going to show you what he's like. We're actually going to reveal to you, and this was probably the thing that I didn't really understand the most. We're actually going to show you what his power and ability is, because the the devil actually has real power. And then most importantly, at the end, you got to stay tuned, because in the end, what I'm going to give you is what the scriptures tell us are four ways uh, that that we can use to defend and defeat this enemy that we're up against. And so starting off, if you're taking notes, you may want to take notes today, uh, because we're going to kind of pull back the curtain, and we're actually going to get a glimpse. We're actually going to get a look at, listen to this, who our enemy actually is. And I'm telling you something right now. He's not what most people think he is. And for some of you that have never studied this, have never understood this, your mind will be shocked on who your devil or who the enemy actually is. And so if you're taking notes, here we go. We're going to start in the book of Ezekiel. So in Ezekiel 28, in another place, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 14, there's actually God giving us descriptions of of who this enemy is that's raging war against us. And listen to this description. Um, The word of the Lord came to me. So God is speaking something to the prophet Ezekiel about Satan. And here's what he said. Son of man, take up lament concerning, and I want you to look at this phrase, concerning the king of Tyre, and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, here's what I want us to get, and you just got to follow me because this could be confusing for some of you. I want you to notice for a moment that when God is speaking about the devil, and we know he's speaking about the devil here because just in a few verses, he's going to say that this king of Tyre was in the Garden of Eden, which we know the king of Tyre, physical king, was not. But what I want us to understand is this, because it's something powerful to understand, is that why in the world would God, when he's speaking of Satan, refer to Satan as the king of Tyre? And what you're getting here in this verse is actually a worldview that Jesus held, that God holds, and by the way, the scripture holds, that so many of us don't understand and don't see. And what you see revealed in this one little verse here, and we're going to look at some more to to show, to prove this to you, is that what God is saying is that that earthly, manly king that's over Tyre isn't really the true ruler over Tyre. 
that the devil has actually empowered, the devil has actually put this person in place, and the devil is keeping this person in place, and this king is actually a puppet of a spiritual being. Now, I want you to hear this once again, because this is so important. This is a worldview that we don't have. This is a worldview that we miss in the scriptures. That's all throughout of it. And by the way, this is not a political statement. I know in our culture, every single word is political. There's nothing to do with politics. Understand this. What I want us to understand is a worldview of how Jesus saw the world, how God saw the world, how the scriptures say the world. And when God is describing Satan, what he's saying is, hey, there's actually the, the king of Tyre is not really the king of Tyre. Satan is actually using him as a puppet to do his bidding on the world. Now hear this, listen to this. This is not just here. I want you to see it again. You guys remember Daniel? Remember Daniel in the lion's den? So, so there's this powerful moment. I want you to see something. This is important to understand about your enemy. So, so, so Daniel goes to pray, and he prays for 21 days, and he fasts. We do the Daniel fast every January. Here's a church. And he's praying, and after 21 days of his praying, something powerful happens. An angel visits him. And I want you to notice what the angel says to him, because once again, it reveals a worldview we need to understand about what the enemy's doing. Then the angel continued, hey, Daniel, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Understand something. So God, so Daniel prayed to God. God sent an angel to minister or to answer the request of Daniel. Angels are all ministering spirits, scriptures say this, that are sent to minister, to care for, to protect uh, those of us that will inherit salvation or God's children, okay? So that's the, the context. Now notice what this angel reveals. It's the same thing again. But, okay, notice the description. But as the angel was coming, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Okay, I want you to see this, right? So he just, then what happens? Then Michael, another angel, one of the chief princes, he's actually called the archangel in the Bible. There's hierarchies of angels. He's the powerful warrior angel. Listen to this. Um, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, I know this is a lot, and your mind's a little blown, and it's early, right, and it's Halloween, but I want you to see the worldview of the Scriptures, is that there was a regional demonic, if you will, ruler over Persia, and the king and the prince were actually put there, and they were run by these forces, and I think this is so powerful, because here it is, Daniel's praying, God's sending an angel to go do something, and here this, there's a battle in the heavenly realms between the good angels and the bad angels trying to prevent the angel from answering the prayer, that Daniel had. And when the angel tells what the reason was, notice what he says. It's the prince, it's the king of Persia, where once again you see, yeah, there may be an earthly king, but let me tell you who is really behind and who's ruling, who empowered and enabled these leaders to run these ancient kingdoms. In fact, listen to this. It's not just here. Notice what Jesus says. Um, Jesus said, the voice was for you, your benefit, not mine. Now, now is time for the judgment on this world Notice what Jesus says. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. He references Satan. Hey, hey, he's the prince. He's the one ruling this world. I will not say much more. This is Jesus speaking. For the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold over me. And he's coming. He rules this world, but he's not over me. And I love that about Jesus. And I love this last part. In the temptation that Satan himself had with Jesus in the desert, he tempts Jesus with three things. Three things that he was going to give Jesus to make him disobey God. Notice one of the things that Satan says he has the authority over, and Jesus doesn't argue. 
Again, the devil took Jesus, him, to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. And what does Satan say? All of this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Now, here's what's interesting. Satan just said, hey, by the way, all these kingdoms in Rome and the Caesars, like, guess, who's, guess who's actually in control? Guess who's actually ruling all of them and causing all the oppression and brokenness in this world? It's me. Think about this. Jesus didn't argue with him. Jesus didn't obey him, but Jesus didn't argue with him, did he? He never once said, Satan, no, you don't, you don't have the kingdoms. No, 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 he did. And here's why I say this. I want us to understand that the problems and the brokenness in this world are far more spiritual than we realize. And when you look at a biblical worldview or what Jesus says or what the angels revealed and the scriptures reveal, is what you're going to see is that behind some of the brokenness in this world, even some of the, the, the things that are going on in this world, people that have authority and power, is actually something spiritual. We have to understand this. And, and this is, if you ever studied ancient history, it's interesting. And I want you to just think about this for a moment. Have you ever wondered why so many of the ancient rulers, Caesar and Pharaoh, all would claim to be divine? They all claimed that somehow or another they, had a, they were sons of God. They were something spiritual to them. By the way, in Pharaoh, when Moses goes and he says, let my people go, and God gives them the supernatural ability to do some miracles, and he throws a stick on the ground and becomes a snake, guess who was also able to do that? Pharaoh and his spiritual leaders. I'm just saying, have you ever stopped to think that the enemy is actually empowering and enabling these people to do this bidding? Something interesting, if you've ever studied Hitler, um, Hitler, who was obsessed with the occult, by the way, um, was, was sharing in his stories, you know, that before he became like, you know, the supreme chancellor, he was just simply a corporal in the army. And there he was in a ditch. And all of a sudden, he said, this voice came to him. He didn't know what it was. It says, get out of the ditch. He listened to the voice, got out of the ditch. And right after he did, a bomb came, killed everyone else but him. Now, here's why I'm saying this. Would it shock you to know that maybe the enemy actually empowered and enabled Hitler to do what he did, to do the bidding of destroying so much of the world? Have you ever stopped to think, think about this, that so many of the occults that you see or anything, even if you look, whatever it is, Mormons, whatever it might be, you look at Islam, guess what you discover? Almost all of them start the same way. I was alone in a cave and an angel visited me and told me something. Told me something opposite of what the scriptures say, but they told me something. You see what I'm saying? And all I am saying with this is, once again, I'm not making that declaration. You can figure that out on your own. What I'm saying is that I really believe when you have a biblical worldview, what you discover is so much more of the world and the brokenness that we are in. It's not political. It's not a person. It is spiritual. And our enemy is literally doing everything in his power to empower these people to rage war against us and the values and who God is. Is. And so we need to understand who we are up against. And so when God speaks to them, he says, hey, guys, I'm going to tell you about who the true king of Tyre is. And it's not him. It's actually Satan. And not, now you're going to actually begin to get the glimpse of who he is. And notice the description that God gives of Satan. And here's what he says. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom. And notice this last line. And perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. See, it's not the king of Tyre, it's Satan. And I want you to notice one phrase here. You are perfect in beauty. How do horror movies portray Satan? The horns, nastiness, the, you know, you just look at him, oh my gosh. Like if, yeah, you'd be like, if I ever saw Satan, I'd run because he'd freak me out. No, no. God says, let me tell you who he is. 
He's actually perfect in beauty. He's actually full of wisdom. By the way, the Bible says he disguises himself as an angel of light. He's not who you think he is. He's not what Hollywood has told you who he is. In fact, this is one of the tools I think the enemy uses. If everyone believes that's who he is, then they'll never see who he really is and they won't recognize when he comes. And so we continue, and here we go. He says, every precious stone adorns you. You were filled with glory. Carnelian, crystallite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, all those words I cannot pronounce, right? Your, your settings and mountains, all right, were made of gold. Listen to this, this statement. And on the day you were created, they were prepared. So understand something else about saying he was a created being. And by the way, he wasn't created evil. He was created like you and me with the ability to choose good or evil. And he chose evil. And you'll see this. And we continue. I want you to see more about him. You, you were, this is about Satan. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, which is another word for angel. So you were like the archangel Michael. You were a powerful angel that was over top of all of these other angels. This is not just a normal angel. He was extremely powerful. He goes, for so I ordained you, you were on the holy mount of God. That's the throne room in heaven that the book of Ezekiel and other parts of the scripture describe where God kind of rules the universe. You walked among the fiery stones. Like you were literally in the presence of God. We continue. Um, you were blameless in your ways on the day you were created. Once again, God didn't create him evil. God created him like us. We had the ability to choose on the day you were created. Till wickedness was found in you, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So he's violent and he's evil and he's all of these things. And we continue the last one. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, uh, from among the fiery stones. And then I think there's one more here. Your heart became proud. I want you to see this. Your heart became proud on the account of your, what's that word? So, so his issue was pride. It actually says that um, in Isaiah 14, you can read it for homework, but in Isaiah 14 it says that he actually wanted God's throne. He wanted to be over everything else. And because he was so wise and so beautiful and so had so much glory and so much power, you're going to learn in a moment, he tasted that and he goes, I want to be like God. And that's when God threw him out. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. See, he had everything and all the stuff. So I threw you to the earth that I made a spectacle of you before the kings. See, Satan isn't who you think he is. And I know it's a lot of quiet in here. A lot of you are processing a lot right now in your mind, and that's okay. But I want us to understand something of who we're up against. He's perfect in beauty. He's filled with wisdom, filled with power, all this glory and pride and evil and darkness. And he's a liar and he's coming after you. But what I want to talk about the most today and what I want us to see is not just who our enemy is. But here's the thing that shocked me when I really understood. In fact, when I understood this, I, can't, I was like 20 years into my faith before I ever understood this. Because people don't like to talk about this. No one wants to teach about this because people freak out about this. They think we're weird because we're talking about this. So like, I'm going to take one for the team here, guys, by helping you guys understand this as people think I'm going to be a freak. But, but, but hold on. But, but, but I want us to understand. When I begin to understand what our enemy is capable of. Now, before I share this, remember something. God is bigger than him. And Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. It wasn't even a battle with God. But with that being said, what I want us to understand, when I understood what he was capable of doing, it's changed how I lived a little bit and how I prayed and how I've done some things. And I want to show you that, okay? And so what I want to do is we're actually going to uncover and look at 
Three things that Satan actually has the power to do in this world if God doesn't hold him back. And we're going to do it by looking at the story of a man named Job. Now, this is my, probably my least favorite story in the Bible, just so you know. And if you have questions of, I don't know why it, it is there. I don't know why God did what he did. I don't understand it. That's not what this is about. But in the story of Job, what is revealed in this moment is the power of Satan... And what Satan can do if God doesn't hold him back. And this is such a powerful thing. And I want you to see this because it changes, I think, how we live. It changes some things of how we worship when you understand what Satan can do, which means what God is doing for you. And so we get a glimpse into the heavenlies where God and Satan are actually having a conversation. Okay, so they're having a conversation. And, and God is actually talking about Job, and because Job, by the way, is probably one of the richest, most successful men on planet Earth. He's also one of the most righteous men on Earth. He's a good person. Everything's going great. And as Satan and him are talking, Satan wants to destroy him. And so Satan and God have this conversation, and I want you to see some things that begin to open your eyes about what he is, what Satan's like, what he can do. Um, and here we go. Job chapter 1. Verse 9, 11. And here's Satan speaking. Hey, Satan goes, hey, 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 this. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not, I want you to notice the first. Have you not put a hedge around him in his household and everything he has? Yeah, he's doing great, God, because you won't let me touch him. Notice that. You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. God, he's rich and wealthy because you have given him favor. Notice this. But now, God, if you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, he will surely curse you to your face. Now, there's a couple things I want us to see here before we get in here, and I want you to understand this. There's a couple things we need to see. First of all, this is that what the Bible reveals is the key to Job's success is actually spiritual. So his business is being blessed, his family's being blessed, because, Joseph, because Job is living righteous before the Lord, and God's favor is on him. The second thing we reveal is this. The reason why Job is able to sustain his success is only because God, listen to this, has what? What did he do? He put a hedge around him. I don't know how God did it. I don't really know. Maybe some of those angels were kind of put around him. Maybe God gave a command and because Satan is underneath God's authority, he couldn't touch him. I don't know. But I want you to see this, is that God himself put a hedge of protection around Job's business, around Job's health, and also this, around Job's family and everything that he had. So Satan's like, hey, I want to take Job out, but I don't have the ability to do it. Why? Because you, God, have put a hedge of protection around his life. Can I tell you something? That's something we want from God in all of us. Here's the third thing I want to see, is that Satan is under God's authority. He can't, he's powerless. He's like, no matter what I want, I can't touch or do anything to Job because you will not let me. Now, what I want to show you next is what happens when God says, fine, and I don't understand this. Please don't understand that. I don't understand this. When God says, fine, I'm going to remove the hedge. I'm going to let you do what you want. Notice what happens next. I want you to see this. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now here's what I want you to see. So what happens? Satan's like, I want to attack Job. I can't because you won't let me. God says, fine, I'm going to remove the spiritual protection of his life. I'm going to remove the angels. I'm going to remove the command, whatever it was. And now, Satan, you are free to do what you want to do in his life. If you ever wondered what Satan's plan is for your life and what he wants to do, if you ever wondered where you would be if God wasn't protecting you, you're about to get a glimpse of what Satan can do. And I'm telling you something, it's not what most people think. And we continue. Here we go. So right after that, you're going to get a glimpse. One moment, God pulls his heads of protection off. 
And on the day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at his older brother's house, a message came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. In one moment, Satan uses people, right? Satan somehow got a group of people and he said, okay, God's not gonna protect him anymore, so I'm gonna go after Job's business, I'm gonna go after his associates and I'm gonna start to wreck his life and I'm gonna send an evil group of people who may not even have known that Satan was leading them and they're gonna go off and they're gonna attack and start to destroy Job, his business, the people that worked for him and all around him. So understand, so right away, Satan begins to move in people's lives to come against Job. And by the way, Satan can do the same thing in our life. We continue. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now this is a little bit where we get a little bit freaked out here. I want you to see this. It wasn't the fire of God. Who was it the fire of? Satan. What did Satan have the power to do? He had the power to call fire from heaven and wipe out, once again, the sheep, the people, the biz- What was happening? It's a systematic attack. I want you to see this on Job and his prosperity and his business. And Satan had the power. I don't want you, I just, th- this is what I just didn't, never understood. He had the power to call fire from heaven to kill a bunch of people, to literally wipe out things. Do you understand the being that we're dealing with? Do you understand the power that he has? It's powerful. And then we continue. I want you to see this. Um, while he was still speaking, now he moves from the business to his family. Yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in your oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are now dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So Satan called a hurricane. Satan called out a tornado and was able to command the weather to not just call down fire, but actually destroy the house and all of his family. I want us to understand who our enemy is. And we continue. And I want you to see this. Um, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And he afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Do you understand what your enemy can do if God isn't holding him back? He had the power. He had the power to cause all these enemies to go attack and destroy a business. He had the power to call on fire from heaven to destroy a business. He had the power over wind and nature itself to speak it. This isn't me, by the way, saying this. You can read the Bible for yourself. It's right there, right? He had the power to send wind and actually destroy and kill a family. And he had the power to inflict sickness and disease on Job and torture him at his nature. Now, something that's kind of interesting to me as I was studying this and thinking about this, isn't it interesting that Jesus had all of these same powers but used them for the opposite? Jesus didn't mobilize an army to rob, kill, and destroy. Jesus mobilized an army to what? To love, to give grace, to walk in humility and generosity and serve and bring a light to the world. And he what? He motivates us to go out there and do that. Jesus spoke to nature on the boat with the disciples and nature obeyed to save life, not to take life. And Jesus healed every sickness and disease. But here's what I want us to see. Listen to this, listen to this. Here's what we have to see. 
do you understand who you're up against? Because all of a sudden, Jesus' prayer, hey, when you pray, pray deliverance against the evil one. All of a sudden, the verses we're just reading, hey, you need to put on the full armor of God because, hey, you're actually in the battle with Satan and all of these evil forces, and they're coming after you. So listen, you need to put on the full armor of God. All of a sudden, that verse has a little bit more meaning, doesn't it? When you begin to understand, I want you to see this. I tell you of who your enemy is, not for you to be fearful of him, but I want you to be aware of him because then all of a sudden in our lives, we go, when God says put on the armor of God, I better put on the armor of God. And so where I want to end today is, I want to talk about the four things that God has given us in our lives that no matter what the enemy can or cannot do, it doesn't matter because when you put on the armor of God, he will not be able to destroy you. And I think this is such an important thing. I didn't tell you these things to be fearful and anxious and put all your energy on our enemy. In fact, listen, it really isn't about what he could do, what you're going to discover. It's really about what God can do and what we choose to do. And so what I want to spend the rest of this week, by the way, and next week, we're going to do two next week and four this week. I want us to begin to look at, okay, if our enemy has this ability and he wants to rob, kill, and destroy, and he can motivate, he can send people at me, he can send circumstances, he can get in my mind, he can actually have the power to do things. If he is that powerful of a being, then what in the world can I do for me, by the way, for parents, what can I do for my children so they can walk and not just defend, I want you to see this, but actually defeat our enemy. And so what I want to do is walk through these four things. And this is why the scriptures say, and this is the four things, therefore put on the what? The full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when the enemy comes after you, that you will be able to stand your ground. You're not gonna fall, he's not gonna win. And after you've done everything to stand, he lists six separate things that you can do. They're, they're literally equated to pieces of armor that you put on to give you victory over the enemy. And I want to just walk over each of these six things. And I love the imagery that is used because, because the Holy Spirit's going, hey, let me use an example that everyone would have been familiar with, and that's a Roman soldier's armor. That they saw them walking around all of their streets. They pretty much ran the known world at that time and that day and that age. And so as they write this down, he goes, hey, just like you see these six pieces of armor on a Roman soldier, I want to give you the spiritual equivalent of every one of these pieces. And as we walk through these things, once again, four this week and two next week, here's the question I want to ask you to ask yourself as we're processing. Are any of these pieces of armor are you not currently putting on? Because you remember who you're battling and remember what you're up against. And as we look at these four today, what I want you to see, is there any of these things that are not on or are any of these areas maybe an area of weakness or a piece of armor that exposes you as a weakness that the enemy can come attack, right? So that's what I want us to do. So every one of you might not have the same one, but some of you might have some moments in here where God's gonna tell you, hey, you got this enemy, let me give you some tools that you need to work on so you can walk in victory over the enemy and stop losing the spiritual battles that you've been losing. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read all six at once, and then we're gonna walk through four of them this week and two next week. Here, here's the six pieces, right? Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around on your way, so the first one is truth, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, uh, that's the second one, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, your feet, the, right? In addition to all this, take on the shield of faith, um, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and the last two, take on the helmet of salvation, 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And by the way, those last two, you'll see this next week, are actually offensive things, not defensive things. And we're going to look at that, where these four are primarily defensive things. So the first one let's look at is this. Um, he says, the first one you need to worry about is truth. Now, to understand the Roman soldier's um, armor, the, the belt of truth actually held all of the weapons. The swords were held in this truth. Not only were all the weapons held, as a soldier was running towards battle or running to anywhere, they would tuck their cloak in the back in the belt so they wouldn't trip and fall. So the idea is, hey, the truth is, helps you from tripping and falling, and the truth is where you hold all of the weapons that you need to defeat the enemy. So I want us to understand the imagery, and let's talk about that. Now, why is truth such a powerful weapon? Think of this. What is and what is the most common tool the enemy uses to defeat us? And I'll tell you what it is right now. It's, it's a lies, right? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. The Bible says when he, when he lies, he speaks his native language. It's who he is. And Satan has been deceiving people, getting people to believe him, believe what is true since the beginning of time. In fact, what you're going to discover is, as powerful as Satan is, there are some things that he cannot do. And one of the things you discover is, is that you, you don't see often Satan actually doing things to people. What you see him doing is tempting people to do things to themselves. And he does that by what? By getting people to believe what they're doing is actually right. Think of Adam and Eve. Right? Let's go back to see Satan's strategy all the way in the beginning. God had told Adam and Eve, hey, listen, you can eat from every tree in the garden. You can do whatever you want, you know, but there's this one thing that you cannot do. Don't eat from the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, God's going, I don't want you to know and struggle with the sinful nature that all of us battle with. I want to hold that from you. What did Satan do? Hey, Eve, that, you can't trust God. Let me, let me just tell you what, like God didn't really say that. Here, listen, God knows that if you were to do this, you're actually going to be like him. In other words, what happened? He began to deceive Eve to believe that God cannot be trusted. He began to deceive Eve to believe that God's way is not best, but that Satan's way is best, and that the best thing for Eve to do in her life is to disobey God. Now, here's the thing. Why is truth so important? Why is such a weapon to know the character of God? Why was truth? Here's why. Because the reason why Eve failed is what? She didn't trust God. In other words, I want to say, she believed, it says that she believed what Satan was offering was more desirable than what God was offering her. So why is truth so valuable? Think about that. Imagine if this moment, by the way, I think wish all of us could, could go back and do this, but imagine if Adam and Eve could be there in the moment and there is the serpent right there and he's you know, offering this fruit to disobey God. Imagine if they could freeze time and they could step forward in time a little bit and see the results of their choice to see who is true. Is God and his way is better? Is, is that the truth? Or is what I feel is better is the truth? What do you think Eve would say? Well, Eve would go to the, watching her son be buried in the ground because her other son killed him because of jealousy and rage and greed. See what happened? No, see, you unlocked something, Eve, and what you unlocked destroyed your family. Do you see the principle? Why? What if she would have seen um, shame and guilt, which, by the way, was the first time she ever experienced it, and God never designed us to live in it, but she walked in shame and guilt and pain. And like it all, in other words, what I'm saying is, if Eve would have seen the truth, that temptation would not have had its power, would it? Like if Eve would have seen, okay, so what you're saying, saying is if I take this apple, my son is going to kill my other son. I'm going to live with guilt and shame, separated from God and pain and toil the rest of my life. Would that have been a tempting offer? No. But that's not what Satan did, didn't he? He used a little bit of truth, a little bit of deceit, and he got her to believe that God was holding out and you can't trust God. Now, why is this so important? Because Satan is using the exact same tactics today. 
How many people in this world believe, oh, I can't trust God with my future. I have to work all the time, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week. I gotta mean, busyness is a badge of honor. Like, I can't take a Sabbath day and rest. Like, I got too much to do in this world. I know God said, you know, to take a Sabbath, but, but I don't know if I can trust God. See what the enemy's doing? The same exact thing. Hey, I, I sinned, and because I sinned and messed up, God's angry at me. I can't, I can't worship him because of what I did last night. I shouldn't go to church. I'm like, I'm gonna stay at home today and watch because I can't even be in the house of God because you know what? God's angry with you because of what you've done. What is the truth? What did Jesus say about the prodigal son? That when that person repented, God the Father ran after him, embraced through a party in his honor. Do you see how the enemy uses the same thing over and over and over? Hey, you don't need to keep the kingdom of God first. Like, I know Jesus said to put the kingdom of God first, but you don't realize right now you're in a busy stage of life. You've got to build a business. You've got all these kids right now. You've got soccer and sports, and you've got a house to manage, and you've got to work out. Like, you've got so much. You're too busy right now to serve. You're too busy right now to really get involved in a small group. You really can't put God first. You're just too busy. But one day, when things slow down, then you should put God first. Do you see, do you see what, how many of us are convinced how many of us have convinced ourselves, no, it's okay right now that I'm, I'm just busy, but in a season later on, it's that stage of life. But when I get out of that stage of life, God, you're number one. What was the promise Jesus made that, of peace and provision? Matthew 6, if you seek me first, then all these things will be handed to you. God is gonna, but, but he doesn't give that if he, we don't seek him first. See what the enemy's doing? He's deceiving, he's getting us to deceive ourselves into tempting us to do. And this is why truth is so important. By the way, this is why you gotta know God. This is why you gotta train your children to know God, that God's ways are better than our ways, that Jesus has come to give his life to his fullest. If you don't have the truth, then the lies of the enemy will have more power in your life. But when you know the character of God, AKA when Jesus was tempted by the devil, no, I know what my dad is. I know what he was gonna do. I'm, your temptation isn't as big a temptation. Why? Because I know the truth. And so the first piece of armor is what? Is truth. And we've got to make sure that we know the word of God. Now, the second one is the breastplate of righteousness. And I want you to think about this for a moment. If truth is knowing the right thing, righteousness, listen to this, is doing the right thing. I cannot tell you and stress how important obedience is. And let me just clarify this. And I can't tell you how important it is when you mess up, and because we're all going to sin and mess up, that repentance is or getting back on the right track is. Because what you're going to discover, we're going to look more at this next week, is one of the greatest access points the enemy has of people's lives are when we choose to live in unrepentant sin. Meaning we hold on to something and go, God, yeah, I know you said it, but it's just my little, it's my little vice. Like it's no big deal. It's just unforgiveness. I'm, I'm just not being generous. You know what? It's just a little, it's just sexual. It's not, like, I'm just telling you right now, it is one of the biggest ways the enemy gets access to our lives. What does Jesus say? When Jesus was talking about this, he says, hey, that, that the wise man hears what is said and then puts it into practice. Is right, does the right thing. And he says, their, 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 their life is like a foundation or a house built on a rock. No matter what comes at them or the any throws at them, nothing can take them out. Because why? Because they're living out in obedience to God's way. And somehow that protects us from the enemy. But he says, the person who hears or knows the truth but doesn't apply it is like oh, the man, foolish man who built his house in the sand. And when the enemy comes, he takes them out. Can I tell you something? Over and over and over again in the scriptures, when you see the enemy destroy people, it's usually always after the people choose to live in disobedience. Adam and Eve had everything before them. They chose disobedience, and the enemy got access to them. King David was walking, and God was blessing him in everything that he was, slaying giants, becoming king. Nothing could stop him. 
But when lust came in and he listened to it, David stopped himself and the enemy had access. Solomon, everything was great. He was the wisest, richest man, but he disobeyed God and who he married. He didn't, didn't marry people that loved God and he drifted away. And once again, everything in his life was destroyed and he became a miserable being at the end of his life. But over and over again, what was the access point? It's disobedience. And so what, what you see is God saying, hey guys, you're up against this enemy, so you need to fill your mind with the truth of how, who I am, but you also need to live it out. I know there's grace and there's forgiveness and that's awesome, but you need to live in obedience. And some of you, listen to this, some of you have areas of your life that you have not surrendered to God. And what you don't understand is it's not about God forgiving you because God loves you. But what you're doing is actually giving the enemy access to wreak havoc in your life. And until you surrender and shut that door, the enemy is gonna continue to win. Right? So the first thing is know the truth. The second thing is you've got to live in obedience. The third thing is the feet fitted with the readiness of gospel, right? And so what you discover here, what's interesting about the, the Roman armor is that on the bottom of their feet were almost like golf spikes. And there were these little metal nails that were put in their feet or in the shoes. And what they were used is they were battling in mountains or in dirt. What it would do is give them strong footing so they would not fall. And what's interesting to me is God's saying that when you are serving me, you're, you're ready to serve me with the good news, when you're serving in the kingdom of God, that that actually helps you keep your ground and take your stand against the enemy. Now, why? Like, we get obedience and truth, that makes sense. The next one, the faith, that makes sense. But why is serving God so important? Can I tell you this? Here's why. Because there's something that happens, A, because you're created to do it. But there's something that happens when you're in the context of community with other people and you're serving God and you're making a difference and you're seeing his power move and you're surrounded by a group of people that are praying for you and praying with you. You know what you do? It keeps you on the right course. Can I tell you how many people drift away from God over and over again? It's either their own sin, something bad happens, and they drift away. But most of the people who drift away are the ones that are not engaged or involved. And so I want to encourage you. Listen, you're up against a war. Get into the battle. And part of how you battle is getting on a team, serving God together. And as you begin to do this and this, then God's going to become more alive. You're going to see your faith begin to grow. God's going to be doing incredible things in your life. And it's a way to protect you against your enemy. And the final one is this, the shield of faith. Now, why is faith so important? And I want you to see this. Because he goes, the shield of faith actually guards you against the fiery darts of the enemy. That the enemy's coming, but what you believe about God actually is an important thing to defend yourself against the enemy. Now, I want you to look at this verse on faith, because I think this is so important. Let's look at this verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. But here's the part of faith I want to focus on. And that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. See, ultimately, what happened with Eve was not just she didn't, she believed a lie. It's that ultimately she didn't have the faith to believe the truth. She didn't trust that God was actually going to reward her for her doing the right thing. This is so important. I want to understand something. That faith is such a powerful weapon because the enemy is coming after us. And he is going to use people and circumstances, our mind, our emotions, and you're going to have to wage some battle. The problem is, is when we face these problems, if we don't believe that God's actually going to come in and step and fight this battle, it's in these moments that so many quit and give up on God, and the enemy actually gains access and prevents you from being who God created you to be. Because you never trusted God. Because you never believed enough to know that no matter what was thrown at you, that God is stronger and God is bigger and God is greater and greater is he that is in you than in the world and that God's ways are truly better and I have so much confidence in what God can do 
that I'm gonna keep persevering and doing righteousness and knowing God long enough to walk in victory over the enemy. We're gonna look at that next week, by the way, how to walk in victory over him. But faith is so powerful. What you really believe about God. And that faith is not just a belief in God, it's an expectation that God is fighting for you and that God is for you. And this is so important to understand. And one of the things I love about shields, little Halloween prop here, right? Captain America shield. Is what I love about shields are this, is that when things come at you, shields actually prevent it from actually making any contact at all to you. Do you notice that? And he says, your belief of God, by the way, faith is so important. It's not just about the next life. See, too often, faith is about getting to heaven. No, faith is about defeating your enemy, just so you know, here on earth. That faith is this valuable tool that God's giving you that when the enemy comes after you, he doesn't win because you trust God or you still believe God long enough that, you, that, that the truth is that the lies don't get you, that you don't step into sin, you don't stop serving, and you stay on the path long enough to defeat your enemy because of faith. And that faith is the shield that all of us need. Can I tell you how important it is to, to grow your faith, guys? To know his word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Do you know how, I love how these things are combined, right? You have this idea of, hey, you gotta know the character of God's truth. You, you've gotta live out the teachings of Jesus in the scriptures and obedience and you see God's blessing uh, in that you're serving God. What are you doing? In all of these things, what are you doing? You're building your faith. And so when the enemy comes at you and starts telling you things in your mind, you're not good enough, you're never gonna amount, you're gonna be just like your mom, you're gonna be just like your dad, you're, you're, you, don't, you, don't, you can't trust him, you're no good. Listen, it's your trust in what God is and what he says that's gonna give you victory of the enemy. And as I was thinking about this, I, I started to realize we live in a world that values education and sports and our children more than faith, don't we? And so many of us are so busy right now doing everything else that we don't realize we're not building this. And I started thinking about this. Is this, is, this is how so many of us are actually facing our enemy. <laughs> See, little faith isn't just about, oh, it's no big deal. You know, hey, they, they got into Princeton, so who cares? Hey, they got state championship. It doesn't really matter. I know they didn't go to student ministries in their life. I know we didn't really invest in their faith, but man, oh man, they're gonna, you know what you're doing? Listen to this. You're sending your child. You're sending your child against that enemy with this. I want that to sink in for a moment. This is exactly how so many of us as parents are sending our children in this world. And I say this not for guilt or not for shame, but to go, guys, you gotta know who you're up against. And it's time we start taking faith serious. Student ministry matters. We put an enormous amount of money and energy to reach your kids, and so often they're not even here. And by the way, we have one of the largest student ministries in our whole county, just for that record. It's not just us, it's all around. Because you know, we've gotten so busy with the wrong priorities that we're over and over again going, kids, man, they're good in the right college. Oh man, this is awesome, they got good grades. And they're walking around with this. And we wonder why. We wonder why they keep getting taken out. Can I just tell you something, listen to me. We need this against our enemy. Build your faith. I wanna close with this. Here's your weapons. Know the truth of God's word. Walk in obedience to God's word. Grow your faith in God and serve in God's kingdom. Now listen to this, listen to this. Notice none of these focus on your enemy. It's not about him. It's about you and it's about God. 
and he gives you the victory over him. And next week, we're gonna actually look at two weapons that God's given you. And I'm gonna give you a key that the Bible tells will actually make the enemy flee away from you. And you need, you can't miss this next week. Let me pray over us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the weapons you've given us and the defense you've given us against your enemy. I am so grateful, God, that greater are you than he. I'm so grateful he fell like lightning at your command and he is subject to you. God, may we do our part. The one responsibility we have is to put on the armor that you've given us. And may we walk in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.